Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. Welcome back. Hey, we're a couple of weeks away from Halloween. So let's talk about the movie Scream. So before we get into that, um, yeah, we're going to talk about Scream today because that was one of the uh, movies that resurrected the horror genre in the late 90s after a lull of disinterest and I guess boredom with the genre. You know, not that there wasn't some good movies that came out in the interim. It's just fans were, seemed like we're tired of it. And I was actually one of them back then. What can I say? I've still loved all my 80s horror flicks and watched them religiously on my VHS player. Oh, yeah, I'm dating myself right there. Um, hey, before we get into talking about Scream, uh, let's talk about it. I just want to bring up a couple of other things. <clears throat> We've had a couple of things that happened just in the news that I felt was quite disturbing. Um those of you who listen to the show and follow me on social media know that I'm all about freedom of speech, even stuff that people hate to hear, uh, even stuff I don't like to hear. I'm not going to deny anybody their First Amendment right. I, I don't believe in censorship, and um, you know, although I do believe in good taste, I don't believe that censorship should be out there. Uh, so, you know, it's it's something that. Uh, this is very controversial and disturbing, but there are a lot of people who follow a guy by the name of Alex Jones. He has a website called InfoWars. And I know a lot of people who are kind of cool into conspiracy theories. I've been listening to this guy for years. But um, he just got sued, and he lost. He is now, I guess, owes nine hundred over $900 million to... Um, the families of the victims of the Sandy Hook school shooting. Now, why do you say? Did he do something directly to them? I didn't follow the case because I kind of thought it would be sort of, kind of, well, I didn't think it would go anywhere. But I guess he owed it for emotional damages because his opinion was that Sandy Hook was a false flag government operation that was intended, you know, to skew society toward getting rid of guns. Like, you know, you move the public needle, uh, get people wanting to give up their guns. The more events like this happen, you know, that's getting it closer and closer to the time the government can take the, you know, our Second Amendment rights. 
Well, it's sad. I mean, is, is Alex Jones an asshole? Yeah. Yeah, he's out there. Um, he's not some cat that I listen to, but, um, you know, there are a lot of popular uh, talk show hosts who actually listen to this guy. As a matter of fact, it has been whispered around and actually outright accused uh, that Glenn Beck listens to Alex Jones and steals his stories to put on the blaze and just puts their spin on it. People have been saying that for years. Even I think Alex Jones has been saying that for years. But, you know, and that's a, that's a guy that's on the radio every day. I don't listen to Glenn Beck either, but, you know, it's just so people know that this, this was out there. This was this guy's opinion. And he was sued for having an opinion and espousing it on his show. Now, is he wrong? Yeah. Does it make him an a-hole? Yeah. Uh, to keep keep hammering away on that. But does it make him liable for $900 million for hurting the, fam- the feelings of the families of the survivors? No. That's my opinion. The man has his right to freedom of speech and to have his opinion. So what's next? If somebody says, hey, wait a minute, I don't think 9-11 really happened. I think it was an inside job. There's a lot of people out there saying that. So can the survivors of 9-11 sue that person? For their opinion? Well, according to precedent on this case, yeah. I mean, there are people out there who deny the Holocaust. You know, can they be sued by survivors or families, you know, that of the victims from back then? Well, that, according to precedent, yeah, now. It doesn't make them right. It doesn't, it makes them kind of an a-hole, but, it, it, you know, still, this person has freedom of speech. And the reason the First Amendment's there is to protect all freedom of speech, especially the most unpopular. Because if we all just went along with the herd, no one would discuss anything, no one would learn anything, um, and no one would change opinions or minds on topics. So I thought that was very disturbing. And if you look at the sheer amount of it, $900 million, $900 million. Okay, now, Ghislaine Maxwell, or Ghislaine Maxwell, however you say her name, the right hand of Jeffrey Epstein, who pimped young boys and girls into sex trafficking, is rotting in jail right now, and she should be. But did she owe $900 million? And she destroyed lives. She just didn't hurt feelings by denying something happened. She destroyed lives. Children. She pimped children to powerful adults, to powerful people. Did she owe nine hundred million? No. So what's the point of like doing that to Alex Jones? What kind of message are you sending with that amount of damages? I don't know. And yet there we have that lady, lady, that scum woman resting in prison. And uh, still to this day, we don't know. She's in jail for pimping children and, and, and sex trafficking, but not one person she trafficked to that actually abused children has come to light. What, what does that say about our justice system? It's scary. It's scary. Anyway... 
I just wanted to bring that out there. Should that guy have been convicted and owe that money? No. Is he a jerk off? Yeah, he is. I mean, he should be put as a you know the national poster boy for asshole, asshole of the month award. Like you know, but hey, it's just my opinion. You're entitled to yours too. If you want to share it, drop me an email, cyrus.alderwood at gmail.com. Like I always say, any of the, the things I talk about, if you have an opinion, want to share something, I'll read it on, I'll read it on, the, uh, on the show. Feel free and share. So, what have you been watching for Halloween month, everyone? It's like I gave you my, uh, my pseudo watch list last time. I powered through some of them. I've gotten, actually, I, I watched um, The Wretched was actually pretty good. I watched Hocus Pocus too, believe it or not. Fun little movie. I haven't seen the first one yet, but I'm going to. And I did watch um, Mr. Harrigan's Phone. This is sort of new on Netflix. So if you haven't seen it, that's a fun movie too. Not fun like Hocus Pocus too, but it's fun. I think it was based on a Stephen King story. So yeah, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, it's very much worth checking out. I did watch another one called The Seventh Day. It's about uh, these two exorcists. It was that was edgy. If you're into that stuff, man, it's worth watching. If you like The Exorcist, go check this one out. It's not nearly as harrowing, but go check it out if you're into that kind of thing. All right, on to the topic: the movie Scream. I don't know about you, but I really like that franchise. It's it's a fun franchise, and I like the way they sort of. I don't say they spoofed horror movies, but they, they really played into the genre and all the cliches. But, like I said before, when I started uh, at the beginning of the month talking about horror films, that there's always a story behind, well, not always, but behind some movies there's a story. And um, there certainly is behind Scream, like a true story. Actually, it's a couple of ones that the uh, I think that influenced the, uh, the writer. But I did want to kind of Bring, this is really interesting. I read something a while back about this, uh, this guy who was a, like a film psychologist or something. I, I, forgot his, I forgot his name, but he was a French guy. And he laid out the fact that he thought genres go through four developmental stages. So I wrote these down. A classical stage, an experimental stage, a parody stage, and a deconstruction stage. And so as I was reading through what this guy was saying, it was at the beginning of, um, I think he started off with the movie Psycho, and then went through like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween, the John Carpenter version, the classic one. Um, he said that was like the era of slasher films, and he called that the classic era. And so those are the films that established what he called the conventions of the genre. And then that led to the 80s, like this, this explosion of all these slasher films that came out. And a lot of these I love, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, the Friday the 13th, things like that. So they had this boom of slasher films, and it lasted from like 1980 to 1990, somewhere around there. Um, and that was what he said was the experimental period, and where, you know, the you always see like somebody who's always like somebody who like sleeps around in the movie gets killed, right? Um, so the so the promiscuous characters 
get 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 wasted. The virgins always live, you know, they survive. You have this indestructible killer and and uh, and all these just like these tropes, you know, came up in every film. But by the end of the eighties, like by ninety, um, you know, like I said, I mean a lot of a lot of audiences, like people people like me that enjoyed these were kinda of getting bored with them. So, you know, movies changed. Um, we didn't really have anything that was um, like a big blockbuster horror for quite a long time. And then one of the horror movie classics, you got, not classics in the, this sense, but one of the uh, most iconic filmmakers, Wes Craven, you know, Friday the 13th guy, here he comes along, he realizes what's going on, and, and in uh, 1996... He released the movie Scream, and I guess that was where this philosopher, film philosopher, or psychologist, said that this was where you were bridging the experimental period and the of the slashers to the next stage, which was the parody. And it, I'm not going to get into the the details of of this movie because I think we probably all of us have seen this, but you have you know the ghost face who's a you know the killer. And uh, the very first scene, all right, this this was one of the, this one hooked me. You had Casey Becker and uh, her boyfriend, Steve. Remember the guy calls up and asks who the killer was on Friday the 13th. And uh, poor Casey Becker there alone at home. Um, and ends up getting butchered. I mean, just butchered. But, you know, the kind of, I think part of the charm of that movie was like, you had this cool cast of characters, and even though they were being hunted, some of them were aware of what was going on. Some of them just thought it was like, "Yeah, not not in my house," kind of thing. The cliches of this genre were all the way through it. You even remember this, like you never say, "I'll be right back," because you won't be back. Remember that line? "I'll be right back," and then Stu gets up and walks out. Well, that's that's a classic trope. You know, where they were sort of parodying the uh, the genre. But one of the scariest aspects of the Scream movie was that, you know, all the victims are attacked basically in their home. They think they're safe. They're not. And uh, so anyway, this sort of element in the movie, according to this stuff I was reading about it, was based on... Two real-life events. And these are crazy. And these are brutal events. So I'm not going to get into details of the real things. Uh, you can go look it up, but it's a little too... Uh, it's a little too too edgy, I think, uh, for a podcast. No one wants to get into the, like the overly gruesome details. Although I'll mention one one thing that happened. But uh, there were assaults on women, and you, you, know, you can put two and two together. But it was... Uh, the first one was... Uh, the first real-life event was about this uh, babysitter, uh, Janet Chrisman. And this was in Missouri. This was back in 1950. And there was a series of just brutal killings that, uh, that happened in the second event that it was based on, which I think was mostly the basis of the movie. This is called the, if you do a Google search for the Gainesville Ripper, I remember this when I was in high school. Uh, this, this made TV news, and this was... Um, Scary. There was actually a guy called the Gainesville Ripper going around Gainesville, Florida, and 
just like they had to shut the school down in Woodsboro and scream, yes, they shut the University of Florida down because of a psycho. And this this was one brutal son of a bitch. I'm not kidding. But anyway, let me jump into what happened here with Janet Chrisman. Like, this is so classic. This is what, the, like, the very beginning of Scream, you know, when you get that phone call. And I think they probably, this particular crime, I think they probably made several movies based on it. Um, but anyway, this was uh, in, in uh, 1950, this young girl, Janet Chrisman. So she arrives, she's a babysitter, all right? So Ed and Ann Romack, uh, they live on the outskirts of Columbia, Missouri. Uh, so she goes there to babysit their son, who's I think is like two years old, three years old. Um, and she was, you know, kind of, I guess, a regular babysitter for them when they would go out. So she would also babysit for another couple called the Mullers, um, locally and the Mullers and the Romax knew each other. They were they were good friends. So anyway, it's a Saturday night. Uh this was March eighteenth, nineteen fifty. Um and well a lot of her other, you know, friends from high from school, though she was in eighth grade, they were uh, throwing a party. She decided she's gonna pass on the party and, you know, make a few bucks, go do some babysitting. So basically what she does is just hangs around the house the baby likes to have music playing on uh, upstairs when he sleeps, and he sleeps right through everything, right? So she's only 13, but here's where it gets a little twisted, and this is where it gets a little gross. Now, this little 13-year-old girl, we all have grown up, and there's always that one girl in school that kind of matured a little faster, you know what I mean, uh, in her body and uh, uh, than, than every other girl, but... So anyway, she's kind of, I guess, both emotionally and physically a little more mature looking. So she's starting to attract older boys in school and older men. Now, this is where it gets gross because this little girl's 13. Um, I have a niece two years older than this. If somebody looked at her sideways, I'd beat their ass. Um, so she is um, she's, she's 13, and this guy, Robert Muller, who's one of the other people she sometimes sits for, had uh, recently been hanging out with Ed Romack and made some pretty inappropriate comments about this girl's, you know, body. And uh, he was like, very hypersexual, like people after the fact noticed. So anyway, he was like asking, hey, wonder if she's still a virgin, blah, 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 all this stuff. Well, anyway, this girl gets to the Romack's house. Uh, the little, little boy Gregory's asleep. And he's up there listening to the radio. And, uh, you know, his parents go out. So when when they get back home, um, I, the mom, I guess at one point, is like, hey, I've got this bad feeling I'm going to call and check on her son. Well, she calls, and somebody answers the phone, but all she hears is like this gurgling and screaming, and then it's gone. So anyway, the police are called. They get, when they get, they get home first, um, but when they get to the house, uh, I'm just going to like shorten this. They get to the house. This, the, somebody threw a rock through the window to make it look like they came in from the front porch. But the front door and back door is unlocked, which indicated that somebody, they told her specifically not to open the door unless it's someone you know. If you don't know them directly, do not open the door. You know, stay safe. We'll be back in a little while. And anyway, front door is open, back door is open. 
The baby's still upstairs, fast asleep, listening to the radio. She had been brutally beaten, raped, um, just just terrible. I mean, it's uh, the phone pulled off the hook. Actually, she was uh, tied up with like uh, with a cord from uh, an iron. Long story short, um, the guy Muller knew that the parents are going to be out that night, knew that that girl was going to be there alone. And despite the fact that he was um, he was always the number one suspect, but he never went to jail, he was actually a World War II vet and had a good reputation around town. He was an, he was an Air Force guy. And, um, anyway, evidence pointed toward him, but they didn't really have enough. And even the uh, Romax wife was like, you know, this guy even tried to like hit on me. He's like rubbing my leg when my husband's not looking, and and he's always talking about this this young girl. And here we come in, you know, she would have let him in because she knew him. So, um, but somebody staged the scene, so they really didn't get a any kind of good fingerprints or anything like that to indicate it was him. But they highly suspected it. He was number one on the list. Well, he ended up re-enlisting back into the Air Force and then moving. And Anyway, the guy never served time. But he was most likely the guy who killed uh, this poor Janet Crisman. Now, if you think about movies that are, like, you know, inspired, something like this would have inspired, uh, classic movies like... Um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Like the the one where they like don't answer the phone, the call is coming from within the house. <laughs> you know that. Um, anyway, but it it put everyone in an uproar, thinking there was a like a brutal killer on the loose, and um, it's still to this day an unsolved murder of poor little Janet Christman. Um, but uh, you know, Black Christmas that was one of the movies, and when a stranger calls, that's the name of it. Um, so those are classics, right? And I think the opening scene, and Scream was no, they did not shy away in that movie to paying homage to classics with whether it's a line here or there or a scene. And the Casey Becker scene at the very beginning um, is very reminiscent of, because uh, the way she was butchered up and the way the other girl in this was butchered up was was definitely... Uh, some similarities to it. Now, the other movie, the other uh, real, um, uh, real life uh, thing that uh, that happened was like the, I mentioned the uh, Gainesville Ripper. Okay, here's what happened. This was in 1990. Um, but this this was probably the inspiration for the film's plot, and uh, and the antagonist was a series. Uh, of murders that occurred near the campus at Florida, University of Florida in 1990. The brutality of these crimes, again, I'm not going to get into too much detail what this guy did, uh, but it was brutal enough that they called him the Ripper, okay? Now, this was, uh, there was a guy that was wearing um, black clothes. The first one I think happened, at, what I'm reading here, on August 24th, 1990, man wearing black clothing, went into the uh, Williamsburg Village Apartments in Gainesville, and he had what was called a hit kit, is what he called it. So and so he uh, put on a pair of leather gloves, ski mask, uh, stretched it down over his you know face, and then he looked up at the, the windows of the apartments, see which ones were lit up. 
And then uh, later, what this guy claimed, uh, but that he was directed to apartment 113 by a voice. Uh, the voice of the Gemini, of Gemini. Um, now, that was actually a demon. If you guys are real horror fanatics, if you've seen Exorcist 3, Gemini is a demon in that movie. And he had recently seen that and became obsessed with this movie. So, you know, shortly after this guy gets to town, he sees this, identifies with it, and just starts trolling women. He's following them, stalking them. They don't know he's there. But uh, he finds these young female tenants. Um, he followed them home from a, a, a Walmart that was close by. And uh, just sat there and under the cover of darkness a few days later and uh, crept up on the deck and turned the knob. It was locked. Um, so he got the screwdriver out and a little pin light from his bag. Uh, pry, he starts prying at the lock's frame and finally got in. So... Um, at that point, you know, he puts his tools up and grabs his marine combat knife. Got some duct tape. He got two six-inch strips from the duct tape and put them on his arm. Okay, so he's got this duct tape sticking to his arm. Now, there was a reason for that. Once he got to them, he would take the duct tape off his arm instead of having to take it off of a roll. He'd already have it sized up the way he wanted to, and he'd put it over their mouth, when he, these women. So anyway, he goes through the... Goes through the living room, goes through the kitchen, and uh, finds this woman on the couch. And she's, you know, just sleeping, deep sleep. So he goes right past her, and he starts going upstairs. Once he got upstairs, he saw this taller girl laying on her bed. So he takes that little narrow beam of light on his, that little pin light, kind of outlines her face, and takes a little piece of that duct tape off and then leans over and then like in one swift motion puts the tape over her mouth and stabbed her right in the chest. Now at this point she doesn't know. She just jolts awake according to him and just started to kick but you know she she died so she was she was out quick. So then he goes back downstairs and then he clamped his hand down over that woman's mouth and he threatened her with the knife and said, if, you know, said, if you scream, I'm killing you. Well, he didn't. She, she, she's like, okay, fine, I'll cooperate. Um, she asked him about her roommate. And uh, anyway, he didn't want to tell her the truth because it would compromise the whole situation. He, so he said, uh, he, you know, he told her she was still upstairs with his accomplice. Like, but he was alone. He wasn't with anybody. So he pulls her off the couch, ties her hands behind her back um, with duct tape, and then uh, led her into the kitchen. And, of course, this I'm not going to get into details here, but not only was it an assault, it was incredibly brutal and degrading and lasted about a half hour, according to the police. Um, after that, he brought her back into the living room ordered her to lie back down on her stomach, and then he put the other piece of duct tape over her mouth and then stabbed her five times in the back. Well, this guy wasn't done. So he kept hitting, and then once the unsuspecting women, uh, even in one instance, uh, there was a man in an apartment, and uh, he went in and killed him swiftly 
so that even women would feel like, hey, even if you have a big, strong man in the house, it's not helpful. This guy's overpowering everybody. Um, so in one instance, this is brutal too, but I'll say this on here but because I don't want to get into like the torturing things he did, but um, not only did he abuse bodies while they were living, he abused bodies after he had killed them. Uh, and by sexually abuse, I mean. And one body, he actually killed the woman and then severed her head, carried it through and put it on a bookshelf and took a couple of books or things there to, to like prop it up, make sure it didn't fall over, and then went back and positioned her body like it was a setting up on the bed. So this guy was obviously just a brutal, brutal son of a gun. And um, anyway, eventually... This guy gets caught, and uh, you know he he gets. I don't know. It's just it's it's just brutal. Anyway, the screenwriter of this movie, uh, Kevin Williamson, uh, who wrote Scream, he, he said he first got the idea for Scream uh, after watching the news reports of this Gainesville Ripper and uh, finding a mysteriously open window in the residence where he was staying. So, anyway, this guy, uh, the guy who did this, his last name was Rawlings, the, the murderer. Um, you know, his home invasions and use of a knife and, you know, sowing such terror that the university closed and students left town. Um, a lot of students transferred to another university. But those were all elements uh, that were inspired uh, for the movie Scream. Um, but however, when this guy Williamson wrote the script, he was actually, they asked him to, actually didn't ask him, they said, you're going to take out these mutilations, right, that, that was inspired by Rawling. Um, and, because uh, they said it would be too violent to sell. So that's, that was uh, kind of creepy, but man, there was, yeah, real life events that inspired that movie. Now, think about this as far as the ghost face. Um, do a Google on this, too. This is quite interesting. They got the idea from the, for the ghost face, like the mask, uh, um, which they I actually thought about titling the film that at one point they said. But the filmmakers looked um, way in the past for the inspiration of what the killer was going to be wearing. All right, so if you look at... Uh, a painting. It's called The Scream. Just go Google it. It's by this uh, it painted in 1839 by this Norwegian artist. Uh, his last name is Munch. M-U-N-C-H. Edvard Munch. E-D-V-A-R-D. Right? So this is one of the most iconic images of the 20th century. Go look it up. It's a painting called The Scream. And uh, it's like this hairless humanoid figure um, with a clad in this dark smock. And just an endless screaming visage is how it's described. But, um, yeah, I mean, those are the elements that came in to make the movie Scream. It's a great series. I'm actually going to try to watch at least the first three um, before the end of the month. It's the 18th, so I've got time. I'll be out of town for a couple of days. But other than that, I'm going to be back and watching more horror films. And I'm going to try to do one more of these this month, kind of going into... Um, 
uh, you know, another horror film, what inspired it. I'm just not sure which horror film I want to do. Um, there was one that wasn't so popular called The Witch in the Lighthouse. But we all know about The Conjuring and Annabelle and, and, uh, the, and those. Um, or maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But uh, go watch those. Those are based off of real events. Um, there was one movie from the 80s I really liked called The Serpent and the Rainbow. And that's actually on my watch list this month. Great film. So maybe I'll talk a little bit about uh, the strange tale of Clairvius Narcisse. That would be interesting. Um, anyway, that's a great movie. Go, go check it out if you haven't. And uh, what's on your watch list this month? Hopefully Scream. So go look it up. The Gainesville Ripper if you want all the details, the gory details at that of that psycho. And, uh, and then the poor unsolved case of Janet Chrisman. And if it weren't for some of these things, we wouldn't have Scream. I wager a guess if it wasn't for the psycho Ed Gain and all the crap that he pulled, and he did, as probably one of the most evil people to ever walk the planet, um, you wouldn't have had uh, Silence of the Lambs. You probably wouldn't have had Ch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That guy was sick. All right, folks. Happy Halloween month. Talk to you soon.